it's been an interesting month of current events, has it not? Now, do you agree with Biden's approach in handling the student loan crisis? Why or why not? Then, is D.C.'s mayor reaping what she sowed with the Pentagon rejecting her request for National Guard? It appears that Biden lied again, I know, shocking, concerning Mar-a-Lago's raid. Is all of this feeling a red wave in November? It appears that Florida is a good indicator of the direction our country is heading politically. All these questions will be explored with today's show. I am your host, Ken Drew, and this is Taboo Topic. today with the latest content through social media. Type in the search bars of Instagram, Getter, Truth Social, and TikTok, mainly those first three of Instagram, Getter, and Truth Social, Kenjin underscore express, I repeat, Kenjin underscore express, spell the word engine, then put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get Kenjin, one word, underscore express. You can also follow this show on Facebook just by typing in the search bar of Taboo Topic. Look for the logo that says Honesty Equals Understanding. You can listen to this show on any platform from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and even Amazon, which, by the way, please don't forget to give this show a rating and review. If it's anything less than a five-star, let me know so I can better serve you. Last but not least, you can find the inspirations for the Wednesday's episodes on my Substack newsletters. Type in the URL at kenjin296.substack.com if you want a visual of the inspiration and you want that script to see what what the episode on Wednesday shall be focused on. Share this with your friends and family members because here on this show, we dare to think out loud and question the narrative. Free speech triumphs safe space because in order for us to think, we have to risk being offensive. If we want true peace in our society, we have to be able to be honest with each other without judgment. If we can be honest with each other, then we can achieve real peace in our society. Amen. This is a reminder that the Biden administration abandoned nine to 15,000 Americans in Afghanistan. Now, you won't hear about this from the media or any politician for that matter, because the global elite have their own agenda that disregards human life and basic human dignity. So, to the families and individuals that have been affected by this abandonment, know that you have not forgotten. Most Americans, like myself, know, or your loved ones, didn't choose to stay behind. If there's any way I can further help besides bring awareness, reach out at Kenjin underscore express. I repeat, Kenjin underscore express on Instagram. Spell the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get Kenjin, one word, underscore express, if you have by one in a millionth chance hear this message. It's not much, but know this, justice will be served for those who lied to justify their competence. After all, I believe in God who is in control of all things, and he says, vengeance is mine. Now, let's get back to the show. And now I'm joined by my friend from the Conservative Podcast. Is it still called the Conservative Podcast? Yeah, the conservative nerd. As of now, I have yet to change the name or done anything. So yeah, still the conservative nerd. <laughs> okay, okay, I dig. Well, my friends, this is the first ever live stream that we're doing for the month in review edition. Uh, how are you, sir? How's life for you? 
Uh, I'm great. Just kicking ass, taking names here in Texas, back in my home territory. So, yeah, man. How about yourself? You doing all right? I'm living the dream. Living the dream over here in Florida. Um, we just started school this semester. So, I have uh, one in one in person class where actually has we're actually forced to interact with each other. So that's kind of nice, actually. Um, it's one thing when you have Zoom meetings, which it's super convenient, don't get me wrong, but it's another thing when you actually have to interact with your classmates and yeah. uh, you, know, you can actually make connections that way. So it's just one of those things like technology can't replace like actual human connection kind of deal. So mm -hmm. no, absolutely. I enjoy that. I, I found Zoom meetings kind of eh, like during COVID, like I did a few like, zoom calls small groups at like a uh, buddy's church and it was yeah it, it was very hard to make like actual connections though yeah because you would have to basically go out of your way to talk to them privately in a zoom in that zoom meeting like it'd be kind of awkward if you had a conversation with someone for everyone to hear basically at that point mm -hmm. no absolutely so it was a little awkward but uh i personally like meeting people in person that's just i how i find <laughs> Yeah, and I'm an introvert, and it's weird because I'm an introvert, but I actually enjoy meeting people in person rather than like a Zoom call. So mm -hmm. yeah. it's definitely different. Um, but this is the first, you're the first one to be part of this month in review edition instead of the week in review editions that I've done in the past. So uh, congratulations to being the first ever, being the guinea pig of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, glad to be here. Yeah, we got some good, interesting stories to cover today. August was pretty heavy when it came to current events and actually was on your show recently. If you want to go ahead and give your plug in real quick for your podcast. Yeah, uh, everyone, if you are interested, I have a show called The Conservative Nerd a podcast on Apple and Spotify and our social medias. You can find us at uh, on Instagram at The Conservative Nerd Podcast, and we have a small group, uh, a page on Facebook. I think that's just The Conservative Nerd. So, so before we get any, go on any further, make sure you hit the like button, hit the share button, hit the notification bell so you can actually get notified when a new episode comes out, which, let's be honest, you're probably not going to hit the notification bell button because no one does it. No one wants to get another notification, <laughs> but it would still mean a lot if you did. And with that said, folks, let's get today's show started, get it on the way. Uh, this first segment is going to be it actually, Grace, I don't think there's been really any subjects that you and I have disagreed with, but I think we, you and I may actually have our first disagreement concerning student loans, which mm -hmm. uh, both sides feel pretty fired up about this issue, and rightfully yeah. so. Mm -hmm. And so my attempt here is to see past the noise with this issue right now. So this is like per USA, uh, USA Today. So uh, if you didn't catch the news, in case you lived under a rock, situation currently right now is the Biden administration decided they were gonna go ahead and forgive student loans, forgive obviously, uh, it's kind of a controversial war by itself, even for cons more conservative podcasters or influencers. But so basically the details of this per USA reports, States, undergrad, undergraduate and graduate students are expected to receive forgiveness up to $10,000 in federal student loan debt for borrowers making under $125,000 a year or couples making less than $250,000 a year. Private loans will not be forgiven. If you received a Pell Grant, you can get up to $20,000 forgiven. If you're not eligible for any student loan debt forgiveness, your pause on repayments continues to be paused until you're 
until a year and till the end of the year. The Department of Education is also working on a payment reform during that time period. Now, in case you didn't know what a Pell Grant is, which even myself, like I don't really know that much about Pell Grant. So for those who are interested in what a Pell Grant is, it states here that it is a federal funding that's usually awarded to students who display exceptional fictional or financial need and have not earned a bachelor's or graduate or professional degree. Sometimes a student enrolled in a past bachelorette teacher certification program might receive a Pell Grant. Unlike a loan, a Pell Grant does not have to be repaid except under certain circumstances. Those include a change in enrollment status or if you received outside scholarships or grants. Now the a one-time maximum debt forgiveness $10,000 uh, forgiveness per borrower will cost the U.S. government around $300 billion for borrowers with incomes less than $125,000. According to an analysis published by Tuesday by Jun Chen Kent Smetters, whatever that name is, at the, <laughs> at the Penn Wharton budget model based on, at the University of Pennsylvania, this cost increases to $330, $330 billion if the program continues over the standard 10-year budget window. Now, that before the announcement, the Government Accountability Office estimated that that alone, the payment pause since the start of the pandemic cost the government about $102 billion. That amount included spent suspending all payments due, interest accrued, and involuntary collections for loans in default from March 13, 2020 through August 31, 2022. So, Grayson, like I said, I think you're now going to have our first fundamental disagreement, <laughs> which is actually a good thing. I, I, actually, yes. I, I actually don't mind a little disagreement here and there. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, so let's work on what we probably agree on as far mm -hmm. as common ground. So we probably agree on that this is definitely a political move. Yes. It's right, right in time for the midterm elections. I don't think they did mm -hmm. this out of the goodness out of their heart by any no. means. And I, we probably agree as far as how they handled this, the approach in which they went about it in this blanket approach, like without actually considering the extra nuances and everything like that. We probably disagree there. Oh, agree there, excuse me. But we probably disagree though with the concept of student loan forgiveness as a whole. Mm -hmm. And that's where I differ from my conservatives because a lot of conservatives I'm seeing yeah. these days are saying, well, if you sign on to it, you need to pay, then you have to pay up pay up and also own up to what you signed up for. And a lot of the sentiment that I hear from conservatives is also, well, if I suffer through it, then you should suffer as well, which to me is mm -hmm. not a good valid argument personally. Yeah. Um, and I'll venture to say that to an extent, I think when it came, comes to certain situations, like there's millions of Americans who have surpassed the principal amount. And this is the problem when I have with the, this is the problem I have with, with conservatives and liberals, as far as like oversimplifying the issue, mm -hmm. the circle will say, you know, we'll keep, we'll, we'll make it try to try to simplify it to the point of saying, well, if you just, you know, if you get, if someone loans you, hands you money and you expect, mm -hmm. lets you borrow money for a certain amount of time, you should pay it back. And which to agree, which I agree. I've seen memes, as a matter of fact, from the past, like organizations like Turning Point USA, for example saying, mm -hmm. well, my grandpa gave me $20 and my grandpa said I have to pay back a minimum of $5 every single day. And then I, and guess what? After four months, I paid it off. But conservatives will not add on to that 
is that the Stuart Lowe program makes you pay interest along with that. So grandpa can say, well, yeah, your principal minimum payment is $5, but you also have to pay an extra $15 of interest on top of the t- on top of the five minimum dollars to pay off your $20 principal that you owe. Mm-hmm. So now during the four month span, grandpa pretty much made 60 bucks off you mm-hmm. because you have, you basically had to pay an extra $15 or 20 bucks every single month. Excuse me, extra an extra $15 every single month because of interest rate. So the mm-hmm. majority of the payment, the, so you could, so the majority of the payments don't even go towards the principal. It goes towards mm-hmm. interest. So, yeah. I've been advocating at least to consider forgiving student loans for those individuals who have surpassed the principal amount. And they, because in my eyes, they shouldn't have to pay more than what they already owe. Like if you took out a $10,000 student loan, for example, in a super simplified version, you should be able to at least, if you, at that point, like you should not owe a single, you shouldn't have to pay another dime to the government at that point, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's inconsistent from conservatives to say, like, don't trust the government. College is a scam. But we demand you continue paying into the system that we don't trust and keep telling you it's a scam. Keep paying into it because, like I said, you signed on to it or uh, we suffered through it. So you must suffer through it as well. And again, it's not to disregard the people who have actually successfully yeah. pay that pay that off. It's commendable what they did. And this comes from someone who is not using student loans either. Like I went mm-hmm. to, I used the military to pay for my college tuition, which many conservatives will say, just join the military, pay for college if that's what you want, right? But mm-hmm. that's not, not everyone can join the military. Not everyone, it's a very small percentage. I don't think people realize it's a very small percentage of people who can actually join the military. Military, mm-hmm. when it comes to MEPS in particular, they go out of their way to ensure to find any possible way to make sure you don't come in. I know it's very counterintuitive to as far as, you know, we're kind of, we're running a shortage of military vets or military or people want to join the military. Mm-hmm. That's because military doesn't want, wants to make sure we have the most effective fighting force out there. And they're just not, and making sure that people are just not coming in just for the, just to take advantage of their system, which yeah. again, counterintuitive. Cause that's, you know, the recruiters will pitch that pitch line of like, if you want to go to college, the military can help pay for your college, et cetera. But I've done enough talking for now. Uh, Grayson, let's hear, let's have some dialogue back and forth. What parts did you disagree with? Obviously, I'm sure you have some disagreements, but uh, the floor is yours. Okay. Uh, I I think where we could agree on is the, I'd say, the act of forgiveness. I mean, you and I both being Christians and all, forgiveness is an important thing. Uh, but my, I'd say my... Di- disagreement would be the government per se being in the business of forgiveness to me uh, to give uh kind of an anecdotal story my family church uh and this isn't to um like toot my family's horn or whatever but we a few years ago we like forgave through tithing offering like five million dollars of medical debts for veterans around the dallas area and yeah. to me I think it's the church's duty to do this kind of things. To, to me, putting essentially, if you abstract the government into, like we've talked about uh, before, I, I forget either your show or my show, but the government being essentially a big gun that you point at people, that you point at the other taxpayer's head and be like, okay, we know you didn't take out this personal loan, but you're 
you're going to be paying it back for these people who actually took out the loans. So I think I, we, I agree with the act of forgiveness. Like I said, I just don't know if the government is the best way to go through with this for forgiving, for forgiving these loans. And to, to your point, I mean, I agree with you as far as the church needs to step up in situations like this. I mean, if, conservatives in particular don't want people to look to the government, then we have to make it to where the government is almost an impossible thought. Like we don't even, we don't even think about the government as far as, well, we need the government to do this. Instead, the reaction should be, well, we know the church has our back in case we really need them kind of deal. But the problem is, especially the conservative church, and it's not to say the conservative church, like they don't do absolutely anything whatsoever, but it's a matter of but when it comes to actually getting their hands dirty in their communities in particular, that's where they lack. They're the most charitable people in the United States. They give the most money. They donate the most. and But they don't really do anything. Like, I don't see them, like, building new hospitals or clinics or homeless shelters mm-hmm. or anything like that. You don't really see that from the conservative Christian circle. And there's going to be some yeah. conservative Christians that will probably – and I know my one of my mentors who's a conservative Christian is probably watching this, and he's going to have something to say about that. But <laughs> – um, let's, I mean, let's be honest though. Let's keep it real. Like how many times, what was the last time you saw like a church actually build something, uh, like what we just mentioned, or even had another scenario of where they paid off this veteran's debt from school. So that's, I agree with you there, but I also think to kind of counteract your point, mm-hmm. this could be an opportunity for conservatives to start having negotiation talks as well. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. So it's one of those things like when you learned in school, you went to public school too, right? If I remember yep. correctly. Okay. I can remember if you went to private or public for some reason. So uh, forgive both. me. <laughs> a bit of, oh, that's right. Okay. So yeah. I was, so I wasn't wrong in that sense too, but um, I was also thinking as far as how can we use this as an opportunity to negotiate with the other side at this point. Mm-hmm. Now in school, I learned about a thing called opportunity cost. That is, you, you want something, you have to give something else up. And yeah. right now, it seems like both sides are saying they don't want to give up anything right now. They One side, you have the conservatives that are saying, well, I don't want to give this up. Uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have to pay for your debts. You signed on to it, et cetera. Then you have the other side that's saying, well, we, we don't want to continue paying into this system. Therefore, cancel all of our student loan debts. Um, and there's obviously the extremes to everywhere, right? So you don't want you don't want to get to that you don't want to get to that point. So you, the challenge is kind of finding some kind of middle ground, middle of the road solution. Mm-hmm. And so this is, I think, like I say, a good opportunity to talk about like opportunity costs and trade offs, if you will. So it's like, well, conservatives, like I get what you're saying as far as like this is going to cost us more down the road. Inflation is going to worsen with this. I I hear you in that. I hear you. I also hear you in the sense like this is. A political move. I hear mm-hmm. you that. But let's talk about ideas and solutions as far as to let the other side know that we recognize and acknowledge that these problems that with this federal student loan program that left keeps bringing up over and over again is very real. These are real people. And most of them, contrary to a lot of conservative influencers that I'm hearing these days, they're busting their tail off to pay off these loans. They're not sitting on their you know, sitting on the couch playing video games all day, they're mm-hmm. actually trying to pay off their loans. But like I said a moment ago, when it comes to the payment system itself, 
it's set up to where you basically don't even make a dent in the principal. And again, you can take out $10,000 loan and yeah. end up paying like $30,000, but you still technically owe money because you haven't paid off the principal. And again, it doesn't make sense to me why conservatives will say, well, you still got to keep paying into the system because you signed on to it. And mm-hmm. you have to think, should we? So I think this is a good opportunity to talk about the possible, one of the offsets we could do is sure. phasing out of the federal student loan program and then privatizing that back with some regulations. Yeah. Cause I've heard some stories as far as the private uh, banking industry can sometimes be more predatory with their student loans than the actual yeah. public service, public sector. So have some regulations, have some cash for these banks so people uh, don't get taken advantage of. But also make it to where, um, at least for those who are still paying student loans, change the payment system to where they only have to worry about paying off the principal, make the payments actually go towards the principal instead of like the majority of it going to interest rate. And then mm-hmm. interest rate only kicks in like a credit card. Interest rates only kick in after you default on a payment. And then obviously, once you make that payment, then it goes back to just paying the principal like a normal credit card. It's going to hurt your credit score really bad. But at the end of the day, I think that's a good starting point to at least like, you know, acknowledge like, hey, this is a real problem that the liberal establishment keeps bringing up um, and not kind of Mm -hmm. not taking like one extreme or the other. What do you think? Uh, no, I, I think the liberal media and I mean, by this has been a campaign promise of Biden for essentially since he got elected, I'm elected. Uh, <laughs> uh, the and the left has been hitting them for months over student uh, debt forgiveness. And I think I'd agree with you that we should move away from a private like the government giving out loans, I think it should just be with banks. But the thing, another thing with this is that these essentially what this is doing is handing uh, colleges, college campuses and staff blank checks from the government. So that I think that's where the government had kind of screwed up with getting into this business in the first place is essentially. And that's why tuition rates have risen because if turns out, if companies, places and people think oh hey the government's gonna pay for this like they jack up the prices only two areas in american life have actually risen in price instead of decrease and that's like medical like care and college tuition both have massive government uh overreach in regulation so i think getting the government out of that business will not only like help colleges but also help kids who actually want to get a higher education by the the campuses not being able to jack up their prices to obscene levels because they know they're not getting a blank check from uncle sam so the <laughs> price like that would definitely lower the prices of tuition in the long run i believe but like you said uh again to your point of trading off what this is it's a give and take game in politics so my thing if we have to figure out at what what is this worth for conservatives and like to win? Like, what can we gain from this? Like we say, OK, we'll give you debt forgiveness, student loan uh, forgiveness. Right. Uh, but we get uh, border funding. We get the uh, Keystone Pipeline shut back on, like turned back on. I, I think like those issues where would actually benefit the American people 
uh, in short term and the long term, I think those are wins that we could take from this. If we were going to be giving something uh, to to like get something in return. Well, eventually, I would actually go the other direction and actually talk about us uh, go go over the welfare programs we have in our, in our nation and talk about mm-hmm. phasing out other programs that will have absolutely no benefit for our generation in particular, like Social Security, for example. Social Security is mm-hmm. not going to have any benefits to our generation. Uh, the generation that's going to benefit from that is our grandparents and our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, who yeah, are- I think the last stat I heard or information that Social Security is going to be essentially bankrupt in 2028 is the last uh, number I saw that, that could have changed by now. But like yeah. you, to your point, we're not going to see that money. Yeah. And so I think that's also something we could talk about and maybe to allow privatization of Social Security for those individuals who are like at that threshold or about to reach that threshold, if you will, and mm-hmm. say, let's, hey, you paid into it. We promised you we're going to keep our promise. You know, take your money, use however you want to use it. Because at the end of the day, it's one of those things, in my opinion, where why is the government like telling you what to do with your money at that point? Like it's your money. It's your hard earned tax dollars that the government's storing for your retirement, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, if they want to get their retirement money in a lump sum, or if they want to start using getting paid now, go ahead let them go. Just give them their money at this point. And then we can yeah. start. And I would venture to say like, at least let the social security uh, numbers stay intact. Cause I think it's a good identification source especially when it comes to protection against identity and identity theft and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I would keep that aspect of social security, but as far as like, you know, the next generation, like the next generation of workers, like I don't think they should have to worry about a social security tax, for example, uh, mm-hmm. taken out of their paychecks. Cause again, you and I are not, they're not going to see that money. Um, yeah. We're not going to see that money. So we could talk about that. We could talk about trading off. Uh, some other social welfare programs such as the Medicaid or Obamacare, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like there are other ways we, there are negotiation tactics we can do. And one thing that I will point out too, I just thought of is like the military industrial complex as well, like defund the military industrial complex. So we don't keep setting billions and trillions of dollars just to fight never ending wars, which right now they're trying to start a new never ending war in mm-hmm. freaking Ukraine now. Yeah. And so it's like, and that's one thing that I've noticed too, like a lot of these conserved influencers are all mad about this, you know, they're all mad about the money being spent on student loans on American citizens who actually could use a break kind of deal. Mm-hmm. But they're the one, they're also the same people who help push for the Ukraine narrative to spend, send billions of our tax dollars over to lands that we have no business in, but no, no business in, but also we kind of created the problem too at the same time. But Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, that's so I don't know. What do you think? No. Yeah, that's a little cognitive dissonance coming from the conservative uh, side. And uh, we've discussed this before. I, I, I think it, we could have had definitely some more preventative measures in place that if we had take a, taken a stronger stance right at the beginning before Putin actually invaded, it would have saved us essentially all that what $40 billion we've sent over there already. So, and this is going to be a long, and unfortunately people thought, I think Putin thought as well that he'd march into Ukraine and take it within a few (laughs) days that he wouldn't get as much of a pushback from the Ukrainian people like he originally thought. And Mm -hmm. 
to me, I see the strategy behind helping Ukrainians, but I agree with your point that you can't on, can't on one hand say that, oh, the, we should help these Ukrainian people with our tax uh, dollars through the military, uh, but we shouldn't use that on American citizens. I agree with you on that point. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it has to be up to the church, and especially at least for our background in particular, mm-hmm. like we have to like, ask the church to step up their game when it comes to these situations and make it to where the public actually looks towards the church to fix these issues instead of the government. Because the only reason why people are turning to the government is because of the absence or the vacuum the church has created the last Mm -hmm. few generations whatsoever. And that's why they're not, you know, it's, it's a great story where you talked about as far as your church helping pay off that veteran out uh, his student loan debt. I mean, I wish there, I wish that was the common. I wish, I wish that was common. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I. I. And I think the church has been taking. I. I guess. Because when people like, it's all about your mindset. If somebody believes that it's the government's job to take care of these issues, they think that their charity per se is through their tax dollars. I. I can't tell you how many people I've seen online and on Twitter saying that uh it's like that's their charity is through their taxes not to to what's when the offering bucket gets passed they they don't put anything in is because they think their money's already been like essentially they're good they're they're good in god's eyes but the that's not i mean jesus did say give unto caesar what is caesar's but give still give unto god give to the kingdom and give to your local churches because that's where you see the real change because right now it's like you give your taxes of government. You don't know where the, that money's going, but right. with your church, you do. And my, my church had uh, just several vi- outreach videos. um actually telling the congregation where their money is going, where their tithes and offering is going, what, what outreaches and what we're doing uh, to, for the local community. And that's, I think like it, it like I said, uh, it's all about your mindset. If you think it's a church's job, you give to the church. If you think it's a government's job, you give to the government. And I think there's been an uptick of people on left, right, and center in America that starting to believe that the government's job is to take care of the sick and the homeless and the elderly when that's the church's job. It's always been the church's responsibility to do that. And that's unfortunate that it's come down to that because um, once upon a time, the church was like the like the centerpiece of civilization and, and mm-hmm. as far and the one people and the one group of people that would go to, to go for help at least. So we wouldn't um, have, we wouldn't have had the great enlightenment with, without the church. No, free, we wouldn't freely uh, uh, teaching children for, for free for hundreds of years. And, and they, a lot of people think uh, that, Science and religion and Christianity per se has been on opposite ends, but the Christian church has given a lot to the scientific community over the years. And like I said, like this, the great enlightenment, I could safely say would not have happened without the, uh, without the church. Uh, So we really need to get back into doing what God's called us to do as the church. Amen to that, brother. Well, it looks like, I mean, that's one fundamental difference between conservatives and liberals, right? As far as like 
they both see the same issue, but they have a different approach when it comes to money management. The conservative will say it should be out of your own pocket and let the church handle that, let the organiza private organizations handle that. Then you have the liberal establishment that will say, well, let the government handle that. And that's what separates the two sides, right? It's like one side wants the government, the other side wants the private market, basically, the private industry to handle these scenarios. The, other, the problem is the private has not been living up to their end of the bargain. And so more mm -hmm. people are going are going to the government and listening more to the liberal establishments saying, well, you say, you know, you say you care about these issues, but we don't see that through your actions. And at the end mm -hmm. of the day, actions do speak louder than words. So it sounds like you and I, we have some small disagreements, but it's not yeah. as, but at the same time, it sounds like we have a more moderate approach to the situation than some of the talking points you probably see on social media, for example. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. <laughs> But uh, next story, though, real quickly, want to go ahead and give a shout out and thank you to those who have joined and tuned in. I appreciate your comments and everything like that. Uh, Far Dev from actually my friend from uh, Kentucky. Hello there. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, look at that. Someone appreciates the dialogue between two opposing sides and yo to you as well, sir. So with that <laughs> said... Uh, Grayson, you got a story and remaining in D.C. Let's stay in D.C. Concerning the mayor, if you wouldn't mind uh, bringing that up and giving your synopsis. Yep, uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, and this is coming from Fox News. Washington, D.C. Mayor Bowser's second request for National Guard help with migrant crisis denied by Pentagon. For the second time, the Pentagon has denied a request on Monday by Washington, D.C. Mayor uh, Muriel. I'm probably pronouncing pronouncing it wrong, <laughs> Bowser, to activate the National Guard to assist with thousands of migrants who have been arriving in the nation's capital in recent months. Bowser first asked the National Guard for help last month, but was rejected by the Pentagon on August 4th. She then sent another letter on August 11th, requesting that 150 National Guard troops be deployed to, quote, help prevent a prolonged humanitarian crisis in our nation's capital, resulting from the daily arrival of migrants, end quote. Defense Department Executive Secretary Kelly uh, Bulliner, I'm I'm so bad with last names. It's all good, uh, man. <laughs> Holly um, wrote in a letter to Bowser on Monday that the D.C. National Guard is not trained to assist migrants and activation would lead to, uh, quote, uh, this diminished re readiness for the troops. Quote, the D.C.N.G. has no specific experience in the in and training of this kind of mission or unique skills for providing facility management, feeding, sanitation, or ground support, Holly wrote in the letter, which was reviewed by Fox News. Quote, uh, approval of this request would also result in the substantial readiness impact of the DCNG, uh, Holly continued, devoting the, personal devoting the personnel or the facility for such an extended mission would force the cancellation or disruption of military training. Uh, about 7,000 migrants have been bused from Texas to Washington, D.C. since April, and another 900 have arrived in New York City, according to uh, Governor Greg Abbott's office. Quote, we have begun busing migrants to New York. It, has, uh, it was just Texas and Arizona that bore the brunt of all the chaos and problems that come with it, Abbott said on Friday. Now, the rest of America can understand exactly what's going on. So, I think Democrats are finally 
getting it through their head when they're, you know, when they're the ones dealing with the problem, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I think they've been um, in their little bubbles in New York, in D.C., and way uh, far away from the border, away from the issues, but they still want these migrants to be coming into America. D.C., New York, both being sanctuary cities, uh, quote-unquote, they freely want migrants. But, like, as soon as the migrants arrive on their doorstep, instead of in Texas and Arizona, then they kind of backtrack and need the National Guard to come in and help with them. Yeah, I know there's some scenarios and stories where, like, I think the New York mayors wanted to send the buses of migrants back to Texas, I think I've heard. Um, which, I mean, not that I agree with it, but at the same time, it is fair game. Governor Abbott did start that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it is, if, if the governor of Texas can send migrants to New York, the, the mayor or probably not the mayor, cause I don't think he has the power to do that. But if the governor of New York wanted to send the migrants back to Texas, mm -hmm. they could, uh, it's revenge politics at its finest. Um, but and it's going up against their whole narrative, which free open border, 100%, everybody just come on in, no vetting whatsoever. But if mm -hmm. they don't want them in their own cities, then it goes against their narrative and they look like hypocrites. Yeah, and it does make, at least if you're someone of sane-minded, more independent, moderate, left or right, you probably would see the hypocrisy from the D.C. mayor, who's, who's a Democrat, and they are in that talking point of like, well, you know, we're, welc we're welcoming, it's a sanctuary city, etc. But now it's becoming such a big problem, they can't contain the problem anymore, that now they're saying, oh, wait a minute, probably shouldn't have the border, probably should have the border secured. We can't deal with the problems. This is too much. It's overwhelming our system, our city. In a sense, it's almost politically savvy by Governor Abbott, and it's not to say that I'm the biggest fan of Governor Abbott. I think he's not hard enough on some issues, but that's just me. But mm -hmm. um, it was, I think it is politically savvy that he did this and kind of put, basically shoved their ideology, their perspective, their worldview right back in their face and say, okay, you think mm -hmm. this is, just, if you think this is great, then you deal, you take them then. Yeah. And then as soon as uh, that happened, like you said, now they're starting to realize that maybe it's not so easy. It's just, it's not as simple as, well, go ahead. We'll just take them in. And it's one of those things where, again, like another example of like parties oversimplifying an issue when it's a lot more mm -hmm. complicated than that. And don't get me wrong. A lot of these people who try to come to the United States, I'm sure they, they're genuinely trying to get out of this bad situation in their country. Um, like there are some corrupt nations in Latin America that were basically the drug cartels basically run the government. And mm -hmm. so they're in the government and the drug cartels go hand in hand. So they're trying to get out of there. And so um, I get why they're trying to come here, but it's not meant to be mm -hmm. easy to come to the United States at the same time, because yeah. it is a dangerous world. And we're not trying to, uh, we're not trying to bring the problems from Latin America to the United States at the same time. So mm -hmm. um one of those issues as far as uh, one of those issues where it's really comp a lot more complex than either side wants to admit. I will say this, that I think Marjorie Taylor Greene made a, made a Twitter rant recently as far as uh, 
I guess part of the bus stop, part of the route to DC and New York, whatever, is mm-hmm. like stopping by Georgia, it's like a nearby county in her area. And I think she complained about that. So mm-hmm. it's not just affecting blue states, it's also affecting some red states as well, like Georgia, where the bus driver takes a pit stop. And I guess there's some allegations. I don't know how true they are, but there's some allegations where the bus drivers kind of encourage the migrants to get off the bus and just, you know, take off on their own and lie to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is D.C. This is your final stop right here, your final destination, yeah. which, you know, I guess even the bus drivers like, damn, I got to deal with this. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, but the thing the, the thing is, personally, like I get why Greg Abbott did this. Uh, and like you said, it's to shove the ideology back into the left's face and like which is has its merits personally i would i would just like be sending them back over uh but i understand (laughs) why he did it like i understand like the political and strategic move of doing this uh really showing the american people that the democrats really don't care about the migrants as much as they say they do no, it's all for it's all for political points, and I think more people, at least in my mind, anyway. We'll get into this later when it comes to your Florida re- election results. But mm-hmm. I think a lot more people see past that noise at this point, and they're starting to see the games by the establishment, the elite, if you will, that are mm-hmm. trying to play on everyone and pretend to be on our side when in reality their actions, through policy making, and sometimes through words, but mostly policy making. That they don't give a rat's ass about us whatsoever. So, nope. uh, <laughs> uh, but it also kind of gets to the question though, like when is, like, when does it stop though, right? Like when mm-hmm. does this like back and forth, like if this is going to be a new game of like sending migrants to different states and everything like that, like where do we draw the line and say this has gone too far, too far long? When do we draw that line? Do you think? Uh, I think, and that's hard to say. I mean. Uh, like you said before, Greg Abbott did start this, and it wouldn't like be like really, I'd say, unfair for these mayors to send these migrants back. I mean, but I think that makes not only the Democratic Party complicit in using uh, like these poor uh, Hispanic families as political pawns, but also the Republican Party. If we're just sending these people these poor people just trying to get like their own little slice of america and like like you said i uh, my genuine general um consensus on border policy is if you want to genuinely make <laughs> yourself and america better right c- come on in not freely there's still a process and there's a conversation to be had on how hard or easy that process should be but I, I, I'm not one of those conservatives that are full, full on, close off the border, no more migrants. Uh, I, I think if you I, I don't agree with that. I think if you genuinely, like I said, love America, want to be a part of the American dream and like then come on in. But like I said, I where does this line stop? Uh, I really can't tell you. I, I can see this like just becoming a ping pong Uh, match with these these uh migrants between conservative states and uh blue blue democratic states it it, it's i'd say 
it's hurting the Democrats more, but I think the conservative movement, it's, it's, we're definitely having to sacrifice a little of our high ground that we've had uh, by doing this political ping pong game that we, that Greg Abbott did start. I mean, to an extent, though, like once they reach these destinations, like how do you think they're going to round them up to at the same time? Like, all right, Mayor no, exactly. of New York City, yeah. like good luck trying, good luck trying to round them up and send them back to Texas because you, yeah. they're pretty much dispersed at this point. And mm-hmm. if they're smart, which majority of them are smart enough, they have enough sense anyway to yeah. at least you know not come back to any courts or anything like that. Um, they're smart. They're, it's going to be very difficult to catch them at that point. And you would sure. have to find like probable cause as far as like you catching uh, doing methane down the down by the corner, uh, then you can pull them over yeah. and everything like that. So, um, what you may call? So yeah, I don't know. I think for me, like, what are you going to do? Like, what? Let's say hypothetically, right? Like, go ahead and push for this. Uh, let's say they actually manage to round them all up and then start sending them back to Texas, like. What's Texas going to do at that point, though? It's like one of those things where does Texas like send in their national guard down by their own state borders and say, "Nah, New York can't." It's not that easy. I mean, then it gets into then we're like escalating the conflict at that point. So, I mean, which I believe Greg Abbott has actually mobilized some, I believe, some national guard troops to help out ICE on the uh, border of the United States and Mexico. I read, it's been a couple months. I don't know if they're still doing that, but uh, I mean, they need all the help they can get. So down at the border. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I mean, I've seen videos of border patrol agents literally just letting the migrants just walk through the gates down by the border. Like they're not like, we're basically, and they're all children too. So they're basically like enabling child trafficking at that point. Like right. 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 What what a lot of people don't understand is unless you've actually like been there, uh, I, I have some family who's actually gone through the ICE facilities in person and really talked with these ICE uh, agents. And they are, I'd say, like they're the least funded of any other go- uh, government agency uh, ICE is and to the point where these ICE agents are actually bringing over uh games movies blankets for these kids because like what what people don't know is the cartel uses children as essentially get into america free cards they Mm -hmm. they take these children like once you get to these coyote dens uh they give you this child say this is your child once they get over they send the child back over the border to use them again as these essentially tickets to get into America. So it is human trafficking, 100%. And it's, oh, it's, it's hard to stomach. And you, and you live in Texas and you look, grew up in Texas and everything like that. So mm-hmm. you actually understand like the, what's unique as far as the problems to Texas. Yeah. Uh, what's actually, I mean, can governor Abbott do more down by the border or is at this, or is out of his jurisdiction at this point? Cause in my mind, I'm thinking like, I'll just give, in the middle finger start rebuilding that wall yeah no honestly i i think it'd be like the each individual states having to essentially say screw you to the federal government and being like we are the ones dealing with these problems the rest of america isn't we're mm-hmm. we're the ones on the border and if Amer- if texas wants to get like start like like using our state funds 
like to build up our border security, then that that's what needs to be done because uh, the the federal government has said that we're essentially <laughs> given up at this point. They they don't care about the migrants coming over in mass. They don't care about the uh, massive tension that's creating in Texas along the border, along with border uh, security, underfunded, mm-hmm. understaffed, and the thing is, uh, it, it kills me that these uh, there's those on the left who call ICE agents and the Border Patrol agents racist when the ma- the majority of them are Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, really? You're you're gonna go with that uh, statement that they're the racist ones when I mean, to me, you can't really be racist against your own people. To be to be honest, these uh, Hispanic. Wow. These- I mean, Hitler kind, of proved, Hitler kind of proved otherwise. He was a Jew, and, you know, the Holocaust did kind of happen, so. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. But, hey, but still, I, I think there are a lot, the massive majority of ICE and Border Patrol agents are very patriotic, genuinely want to help these people coming over and wanting to find them, like, actually get them into America, but in the right way. Mm-hmm. And, um it's, it's definitely an issue that I think busing these migrants to these Democratic blue states is a good political move. It's maybe not the best moral move. <laughs> well, I will say this and kind of pivoting back to D.C., what's going on to D.C. in particular. How is, it's kind of ironic, right? How when it came to January, after January 6th, we put up fences across the White House in D.C. They called it the National Guard. Mm-hmm. for against the American people, I should say. But the migrants in particular, nah, we don't need that. We don't need that here in our neighborhood. Again, the whole it, the, the priorities are just backwards. It's mm-hmm. literally America last. Um, yeah. Just look at the treatment of how the Biden administration is handling this situation versus how they treated the American people. Yep. Again, going back to January 6th, what? I think it was like the inauguration. It looked like a freaking war zone in DC mm-hmm. where right now it probably looks, probably looks, well, it looks more like a third world country right now with the migrants probably. And I'm not saying yeah. that to be racist or anything like that. It's just, you know, where are they going to go? They're going to be hanging out and hanging out in the streets most likely. Exactly. And, they, and so, <clears throat> and you know, like how businesses take advantage of them as far as like, well, they're not, they're undocumented aliens. So go ahead, pay them under the wage, pay them under the table. Uh, get away with paying them less money or anything like that. And so, you know, they're not going to have enough money to even afford an apartment or a motel room in D.C. I mean, D.C. is ridiculously expensive to even stay there for one night. So it is. It is very expensive. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's definitely uh, how much you want to bet that Biden has. Uh, actually, I'm not even sure if he would even know what's going on to be fair. <laughs> I, I don't think I, I, I don't think he even knows, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, what you call? But speaking of Biden, he's in a basement somewhere. Yeah, but he somehow got eighty million votes. But whatever, right? Anyway, that's, that's besides the point. <laughs> All right. So moving on, folks. Uh, from that, we're gonna go ahead and stay on Biden because some new revelations came out concerning the situation with uh, Mar-a-Lago and President Biden's role in this. Now, if you are not aware, in case you have lived under a rock this whole time. Long story short, FBI raided, or the media is not is trying to call it not a raid. It's 
trying to call it like a search something along those lines, but it's a raid. Let's be honest. You don't yeah. send 30 FBI agents, federal agents to your home and not consider and not call that a raid. It doesn't make any sense. So yeah. it was a raid yep. during this raid. The Biden administration, at first the DOJ was like, we had no idea what's going on. We had no idea this was happening. Then they finally admitted to it. <laughs> then Biden came out and said, we had no idea this was happening. And now the new revelations, he actually played a role in this, uh, in this in this in this warrant so who would have thought right right shocker anyways so this is from the justnews.com uh it states here that and this is uh from the lawyers from trump uh i have therefore decided not to honor the former president's protective claim of privilege acting that's that is what they heard from the national archivist archivist deborah sedil wall uh which in case you don't know who she is, she actually has a record of having um, some strong resentment towards Trump. Shocker, right? Anyways, um, so anyway, so long before it professed that no prior knowledge at the rate on Donald Trump's estate, the Biden White House worked directly with the Justice Department and National Archives to instigate the criminal probe into alleged mishandling of documents, allowing the FBI to review evidence retrieved from Mar-a-Lago's this spring and eliminating the 45th president's claims to executive privilege, according to contemporary government documents received by just the news. The memos showed that when White House Deputy Counsel Jonathan Sue was engaged in conversation with the FBI, Department of Justice, National, Archive, National Archives, as early as April, shortly after 15 boxes of classified and other material were voluntarily returned to the Federal Historic Agency from Trump's Florida home, by May, Sue conveyed to the archives that President Joe Biden would not object to waiving his predecessor's claims to executive privilege, a decision that opened the door for the DOJ to get around a jury to issue a subpoena compelling Trump to turn over any remaining materials he possessed from his presidency. The mechanisms are summarized in several memos and emails exchanged between the various agencies in the spring of 2022, months before the FBI took the added unprecedented step of raiding Trump's Florida uh, compound with court-issued search warrant. The most complete summary was contained in lengthy letter dated March 10, May 10th, acting National Archivist Deborah Sedil Wall sent Trump's lawyers summarizing the White House involvement on April 11th, the White House Counsel Office affirming a request from the Department of Justice supported by FBI letterhead memorandum formally transmitted a request that the NRA provide the FBI access to the 15 boxes for its review with seven days and with the possibility that the FBI might request copies of specific documents following its review of boxes Wall wrote to Trump, to Trump defense attorney Evan Corican. I can't pronounce last names either. Anyways, <laughs> uh, that letter revealed that letter revealed Biden empowered the Narco National Archives and Records Administration to waive any claims to executive privilege that Trump might assert to block uh, DOJ from gaining access to the documents. Uh, the counsel to the president has informed me that in light of the particular circumstances presented here, President Biden defers to my determination in consultation with the Assistant Attorney General for Office of Legal Counsel regarding whether or not I should uphold the former president's protective assertion of executive privilege, Wall wrote, I have therefore decided not to honor the former president's protective claim of privilege. So, 
Shocker, shocker, shocker. They lied. Who could have seen that coming? Who could have seen that the president of the United States, the head of the executive uh, branch, had no idea that they were going to raid Trump's uh, personal estate? I, I, I smelled that lie from a mile away as soon as he said, came out and said that. And it, And not only that, it's hilarious that the media instantly jumped, I, I think the day of, or it was maybe the day after when they released the uh, like the search warrant, that mm-hmm. the media jumped on, oh, Trump actually had the nuclear, nuclear documents. I'm like, do you really think Trump had nuclear documents in his personal home? I, I think that, and even... The funny thing is, the uh, I read the warrant, and nowhere did it say anywhere <laughs> having to pertain to nuclear documents. So I don't know where the media got that idea of, but they're doing whatever they can. And this is a ploy to keep Trump run, from running in 2024. That's all it is. Well, it sounded like to me, like they were trying to actually just create a problem just for that sake, right? Like, apparently, like Trump was well within his powers to do so, but... The Nauka archivist said, nah, screw that. Let's revoke this privilege. So he has, and then Biden gave that person the green light to go ahead and do so to initiate this search warrant. So what does that tell you? That Trump was never in the wrong to begin with. Mm -hmm. I swear, this guy has got to be the cleanest man on record. They've tried to investigate him so many times. And it shows you again, though, as far as like what the DOJ and the bureaucracy anyway the establishment was willing to go through to prevent someone like trump from reaching office again i mean they Mm -hmm. spied on trump during the uh during his campaign in 2016 trump trump even called out the fbi saying like listen i know you're bugging my towers i know you're bugging my campaign and Mm -hmm. the media tried to defend the fbi tooth and nail even obama and hillary clinton and it turned out that not only did the fbi lie about all of that and they actually did bug Trump and during his campaign, but they actually colluded with Clinton. They colluded yep. with Clinton. And this is just a speculation. This is more conspiracy than actual confirmation. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Obama was also part of this as well. If Biden, if the president is in charge of the DOJ, who's yep. to say that President Obama would not even be a part of this? If this was like... Yep. Times where journalism still has some integrity. This would be like front page cover news, like 24-7, third world country, banana republic style. Like this is corruption at its finest. We need to get this guy out of here, like actually impeach Biden. We don't Mm -hmm. care that we, regardless of how you feel about Trump, like this is corruption, like beyond that you would see like in a dictatorship in a third world country. This would be on the front archive. So this shows you like they are literally trying just to create a problem and create an actual legal issue when there wasn't really to begin with. They're yeah. just trying to manufacture one. Uh, it really makes me mad. <laughs> it, it, it's very upsetting to the point and people, uh, unfortunately, the American people have pretty short memories, but there was an entire scandal. Was it FBI, the two FBI agents that were like sexting each other and like talking about how they were going to take down Trump? Do you remember that story from a couple years ago? No, I don't think I heard that story. It was like either two FBI or CIA agents that were actively like talking about like taking down President Trump. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I, I forget their names, but people forget about that story and how these unelected government agencies 
they there needs to do to be like a massive overhaul in our budgeting for these um like I said, these unelected uh, federal agents and agencies that have virtually no oversight um, and they could do whatever they want essentially. And we've seen that and with not only do whatever they want, but with the president of the United States go ahead. And I, it gives me, uh, it gives me memories of when Obama was using the uh, IRS to go after conservative C3s. According to the media, he had no part of that. He had no knowledge of that, Grayson. Come I, on. I, yeah, and they they just said a week ago that Biden had no idea about like that. So <laughs> it's it's these it's these bureaucrats, these government politicians using organizations like the FBI or uh, agencies like the FBI, the CIA, the DOG, uh, DOJ as their personal like Gestapo, essentially, and. It's it's pretty scary, and the thing is, it doesn't bode well for the political uh, climate in our country either. That I once the government has the, this power, both sides get to use it. So I can't uh, imagine a world where, when eventually Republicans gain control of that House, the Senate, and the presidency again, that they won't do this potentially to Democrats. Because, mm-hmm. hey, they, they like they wielded the gun against Trump. And to me, Trump is probably going to be on the warpath. Uh, I mean, <laughs> especially after the Russia uh, gates, the Ukraine gate, whatever, them dragging him through the coals for that whole debacle. And now writing his personal uh, his personal estate. I, I think Trump's going to be out for blood if he gets reelected. He's going to like at least that's my hope. <laughs> I mean, he's got nothing to lose at that point, to be fair. It's exactly. a second term. Um, but it goes back to what we were talking about earlier as far as the whole bus situation where it's going to be a game of ping pong at that point. And that's mm-hmm. not what you want in a republic and a democracy. No. Or no, we, represent we want, democracy. <laughs> I, I think both of uh, us are more like small government conservatives. We want the federal government to have as least amount of power as possible so stuff like this doesn't happen. And it, I... Like, just to be, like, like just fair, if Trump mm-hmm. had done this to, say, the Clintons or Obama, I would have bashed him for it. Because I'm like, this is not, this shouldn't be, like, well, something so, we should be doing to our political opponents. Okay, so devil's advocate then real quickly, because yes. a lot of liberals also bring, this, bring that fact up as far as the 2016 campaign where... You had a chance of lock her up, lock her up. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the thing is that people have to realize, and my response to that is like, he never actually did it. Uh, he never, he never, he never succumbed to that level. As much as he, she deserves to be in jail right now for all the corruption mm-hmm. that she did. Not only that, but like she was a secretary of state first and foremost, and she tried to declassify. She shared declass or classified material. President of the United States has that power to declassify or declassify material. Just by the simple, by just by de- declaration, that's it. No, exactly. And well, imagine if Trump had had a uh, classified server in his in Mar-a-Lago, the exact same situation that Hillary Clinton was in, where uh, the FBI actively changed the law to protect her in, during the 2016 election. And but by that point, her her campaign was over. 
Uh, yeah. At, so I, I guess it depends. It's like, like I think if the roles were reversed, Clinton, she actively broke the law before uh, the FBI changed the law. And so, but I believe that the FBI, the DOJ and uh, like Biden, I don't think they actually believe Trump was breaking the law. This is what I'm saying. This is them trying to prevent him from running in 2024. Not only that, but I also push back that when the FBI went after Clinton for a while, like it was under Obama, so there's like less reason to speculate this was political. Sure. It only became the speculation only became political like when the next day after Obama had a meeting, private meeting with the FBI director James Comey, and then the next day yep. James Comey's like, "We're not going to pursue charges on her." That's when the conservatives <laughs> lost trust with the FBI. At that point, people don't understand sure, that. That's, but that's when we lost trust with the FBI. And ever since then, I don't think it's been the same with conservatives. Like I think conservatives, no. we tend to be more like. Uh, we tend to be more friendly when it comes to like law enforcement agencies. And, you know, as far as like the FBI agents themselves, I think we tend to be, we tend to have a positive view of them. But when it comes to like the top tier level, like, you know, James Kobe, yeah. it wasn't until that point when that happened that we lost trust in the, sure. in these federal agencies at that point. Well, we knew that at that point that these federal agencies could be manipulated and used as political bludgeoning tools. Uh, and, and, and I agree with you. I think, especially me, like I, I, I like, like for as long as they're doing their job, mm-hmm. uh, local law enforcement and stuff. But I think there's a disconnect now where conservatives uh, like are okay with and root for local police agencies. I mean, except the, um, uh, Uvalde, of course, uh, we've seen <laughs> that uh, go completely. And I, 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 I think a, you lost a lot of conservatives over that debacle because we realized that from the top to the bottom that these these or agencies can fail and right. fail pretty badly. So I think mm-hmm. there's been a massive um, runoff of support for like these agencies in the first place from the top to the bottom with conservatives. But to an extent, that doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Like we Mm -hmm. want smaller government. We don't want, we just talked about earlier in the first story. It's like, we don't want people to look to the government to solve all these issues. And so to an extent, this could actually, this is actually kind of like a healthy revelation that's happened within a conservative circle and starting to realize Mm -hmm. like, okay, wait a minute. Uh, We want smaller government. Should we hold these uh, people to such a high uh, pedestal to where we they we view them as people that can't do no wrong kind of deal mm-hmm. um, and overlooking the fact that they may be violating our constitutional rights kind of deal so sure absolutely um but yeah shocker not really shocked about the fact that no. president biden there. Um, <laughs> shouldn't be shocked to anyone out there if you're shocked by this um surprise i don't know so yeah leave yeah. a comment if you're if you're genuinely surprised by this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's leave a comment if you're actually surprised by that. Um, we'll move on to the next story. Grayson, go ahead and take your next story if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and this comes, uh, the, the article is called uh, Teen Who Identifies as a Cat Allowed by School to Act Feline and Not Speak. Many kids learn dif- uh, in different ways. Some are more visual while others absorb information better if, they're re- if they read about it. 
but everyone learns best when they are comfortable and at ease. And for one teen in Australia, that means acting like a cat. According to the Herald Sun, the girl identifies as a cat, and the private school she attends allows her to be nonverbal and act feline, so long as it doesn't uh, become a distraction to other students. While the school didn't confirm the specifics, they did explain in a statement that some of their students uh, displayed, quote, a range of issues from mental health, anxiety, and identity issues, end quote, noting our approach is always unique to the student, and we will take into account uh, professional advice and the well-being of the student. The school reportedly describing the girl as, quote, phenomenally bright. I don't know. (laughs) Seems like a stretch. And a source close to her family explained, quote, no one seems to have a protocol for students identifying as animals. But the approach has uh, been that if it doesn't disrupt the school, everyone is being supportive. I think that'd be pretty disruptive to personally, but I digress. <laughs> there might uh, need to be protocols put in place, though, uh, as more and more students are identifying as animals elsewhere in Australia. Four girls have started walking on all fours and cutting holes in their clothes to make room for their tails. Okay. Um, While the school uh, where it's allegedly happening denies the claims, one parent said a girl screamed as a peer, screamed at a peer for, quote, sitting on her tail. So, wow. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't personally know how you can describe a child acting like a cat as bright uh, seems like she's about as sharp as a marble uh personally uh, and like th- this is only in australia but the problem is the more this gets in the news the more children and with how freely um like how freely children access the internet nowadays, I can safely say and unfortunately say that this would easily happen in America and with American uh, public schools, that these teachers would be forced uh, to act like these children are animals, the animals that they uh, identify as. So not a good look. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? Well, here's the thing. I think with, I think Casera's like we gotta stop like coming up with like the most extreme scenarios because they, they keep coming true. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, we you know we used to like make fun of transgenders that community that whole ideology anyway and say like well I'm a unicorn does that make me a unicorn and uh, now we got people like actually taking pretty much that concept into. Mm-hmm. Re- into actual practice and we have public schools in Australia anyway. Yeah. They're actually taking that seriously. Um, I'm not sure that's, I think it's more of a referendum, more of a referendum on the public school system in Australia, the adults mm-hmm. than the actual child. Sure. I think the child needs help. Not, and she may be Absolutely. very smart. For, she may be smart, but there's something, there's something yeah. to where she can't, <laughs> She, there's stuff, well, there's obviously something going on in her head where she can't sure. distinguish reality, right? Like there's some very mm-hmm. smart people out there, but they have like some serious mental health issues or mental mm-hmm. mental disorders that they need to address. Sure. And this is what happens when you kind of create a vacuum when it comes to ethics and re- remove religion 
out of society completely. And that's what the West has done, right? That we've taken religion and pretty much become hostile to any religious influence, just more mm -hmm. specifically Christianity, because Christianity is what built yep. the West. Uh, this is what happens. You create this vacuum and pretty much anything goes, literally, because at least with if you have like religious influence in society, I'm not saying you have to be religious, mm -hmm. but if you have that religious influence, you at least have those boundaries that lets you know when you've gone too far. In this scenario, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's stopping. It's not stopping. So we're going to start like laying. Well, actually, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to eat my own words because well, next thing you know, it's going to become true. But, um, yeah. but for all we know, I mean, what's next? Like, where do we draw the line? Like, people have to have to say something. And if, yeah. And granted. Compared to Australia, we have like freedom of speech protected in the Constitution. We have a Supreme Court that will actually interpret the Constitution. Well, now we have anyway. Now we have a Supreme Court. Yeah. As is, and will protect us from uh, that kind of tyranny or that kind of insanity being instilled to where yeah. if someone does speak out against something as lunatic or lunacy as that, um, then we wouldn't have to, we wouldn't be in a situation like Australia where if they say anything contrary to that mainstream thought, they could be jail possibly. They already have mm -hmm. like, they already are like one of the one nations where they basically lived like a dictatorship with their lockdowns. Like they couldn't, yep. they made their people. It was like, pretty scary uh, hearing the things during the COVID uh, lockdowns coming out of Canada, us literally sending people to camps. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And it was, yeah, it was pretty scary. And they say, you know, it's not like the concentration camps. And it's like, okay, fine. But still, you're still isolating them because they have a different viewpoint, more or less, mm -hmm. over a, sure. over an issue that really is still up for debate and people are still debating. So you're really going to take this drastic step. And unfortunately, I think maybe that's a situation in Australia where maybe there's parents in that particular part of Australia anyway. They feel very mm -hmm. strongly about this and they say they probably would want to speak out against this but they can't yeah. because they don't have that freedom of speech like we do so it's one of those things in america it's like we have to really be thankful we have that privilege Absolutely. but also not take it for granted at the same time and realize like if it's happening like in these western nations other western nations outside of us like you could very easily come here and it's probably going to try to come here as well and mm -hmm. try to influence our kids or the next generation to say because like, we don't have kids but uh, <laughs> yeah no i mean absolutely and i think that I, I agree with your point that even if these teachers in australia do think that this child needs severe like mental help but they are almost like backed into a corner where they can't actually say anything like you said they don't have freedom of speech or they 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 will possibly be prosecuted for hate speech laws per se like that's happening in canada and other parts of the west but in america i think you'd have a lot of students and teachers even though we have that protect legal protections teachers and the students are might just get like essentially bullied into staying quiet cuz imagine you and I both went to school. You know how uh, we know how hard <laughs> it is to make friends growing up, especially in middle school and high school. But imagine right. like being in a p place uh, like morality wise to where you want to speak up against the LGBT. But if you do, 
you're not going to make a single friend like through your whole school, like, like well, <laughs> tenure. Well, well, now if people did speak out, the bully would the reverse. It'd be like the roles would flip essentially where the people who do speak out against that would be the ones being bullied versus the other way around. And it's not to say like that was, I'm not saying that's any more right than the other way around, but, (laughs) but it's one of those things where it's like, even if someone like is genuinely concerned and wants to be a good friend or be a good parent, be a good, be a good adult, be a good citizen, Samaritan, whatever, they can't do that because Mm -hmm. the government is saying you have to shut up. Uh, we want, you know, we basically want these kids to act like cats because of, because at the end of the day, I mean, what is this gets into more conspiracy theory. Okay. So folks, conspiracy <laughs> theory alert. If I had like a little thing there, pop up conspiracy theory alert, I would, but uh conspiracy theory alert real quickly. I mean, what does this do when you convince enough people like this is normal? Well, we have the, you have the world, uh, economic forum. You have the establishment, the elite that believe the world is overpopulated. And when you can convince enough people that this is normal, guess what happens? People don't reproduce. And when you don't reproduce, guess what does the economy? It brings the entire economy down because now there's not enough workers to replace the retiring workers. Mm-hmm. And what does that do? It laid, It's a segue into what they want for the Great Reset. It's all part of their plan. It's again, conspiracy theory. Do not take my word for it. But the Great Reset is not conspiracy. You could actually check that out at the World no, Economic Forum. No. That is real. The, no, the it, is, it is legit. <laughs> and the other stuff I talked about, I don't know if that's real, if that's like part of it. But I mean, why else would they ignore reality? Why else would they ignore science? Like legit science that states like you're not a human being. Are you not a cat? Excuse me. You're not the other uh, gender because your mind says so your feelings say so yeah uh, it's it's you know just like it's not any more real when someone thinks they're fat when they're not fat we don't say they're trans obese we don't no, say that exactly. <laughs> well the thing is a lot of these kids i feel like you think they might be pressured into identifying as you know these different races or different species because their friends are i i've known several Growing up, how easy it was, like, they one of my friends started hanging out with the emo crowd. Next day, he was listening to Black Veil Brides <laughs> and wearing, like, uh, these the tall uh, boots. Like, it's very easy to be, I mean, kids are easily manipulated. And when you have this ideology permeating in our public school system, maybe these kids don't actually, like, they're just going along with the uh, going with the flow, going to with what makes them popular because kids have always done that. But right now, what makes you popular is being uh, acting like a cat, being pansexual, being anything essentially but straight and white. Uh, that's what like get keeps you in the know and they like lets you have friends now, which I don't like. I think the blame really relies on it and rests on the parents and the faculty for letting this, uh, because mm-hmm. like I was growing up in like, when I was still growing up, they still, uh, use paddles on kids like at school. <laughs> like if you were messing up, Hey, go to principal principal's office, break out the paddle. Boom. Like nowadays, no. Uh, yeah. so maybe we need to bring back the paddle. I mean, and I've said this story multiple times at this point to my audience and other audiences out there, but I, I remember I still remember vividly to this day where uh, our friend that we convinced to put fingernail polish on 
bright red, whatever. The very next day, the school, the homeroom teacher sent it to the school nurse. The school nurse actually removed the fingernail polish and then called the dad. And he's like in third, second grade, I want to say. So he yeah. called the dad and they're like, hey, just so you know, your son kind of did this recently. Totally different world. And you and I are the same age. Like I'm 26, yeah. you're 26. Um, and that's just in our lifetime. And mm-hmm. I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to see someone in a different generation, like older than us and what they're seeing. Um, I, I think they're pretty, I, I mean, you and I are upset at this news. I can't imagine like, they're probably like, what the hell is going on? They, they just don't have the cognitive of like, not saying older people are stupid, but they're like, they don't <laughs> understand. It's so much of a shift from when they grew up that they have just no idea how to deal with this. Another well, question that poses about the cat uh, girl, does she even like do schoolwork? I mean, is she <laughs> like, I know they like, they tell her that she doesn't have to speak. <laughs> so I don't know how she actually like gets her schoolwork done. So does she act dumb like a cat then? Like she, she does the basic necessities of a cat to where she doesn't have to do schoolwork? Question mark. Well, and, and to the point is like, like, would she even be like, like, how her are her grades? Like, does C does for cat? <laughs> C for yeah, just give her a C and like C's get degrees, man. <laughs> C's get degrees, but just it, shut it into is, the system. Uh, it is a scary thing that could definitely happen here in America with our how far left our school uh, system, our public school system specifically has gone. I think I actually saw a bill. I forget the senator, but he was pushing a bill to essentially like dissolve the Department of Education, which I am all for personally. So I think. It's, are, you it's talking about the universal, good, are you talking about the universal school choice bill? If that's what it's called, then yeah. I don't know. I, I think I just saw a recent Instagram post, something like that, where mm-hmm. Arizona passed something similar to that, and they have a like school choice universal. Um, which, yeah, I, I think it's gone too far at this point, and maybe teachers, because of how liberal um, – uh, teachers unions have gotten they wouldn't be able to speak up without possibly losing their job as well nowadays if a kid was deciding in america to be an animal and <laughs> demanding that they not be uh forced to speak or use their hooves yeah i i, I that can't end good to for and this yeah well not a good look well it's not all doom and gloom, my friend, because in Florida, anyway, we got some good positive, uh, uh, good news coming out of Florida, anyway, and really parents stepping up and saying enough is enough. Uh, so this week, in case, again, you lived under a rock, you had no idea what's going on. Uh, basically, Florida had a red sweep, more or less. So DeSantis, at his election rally, declared that his victories for his endorsees for school board, 25 out of 31. Uh, they flipped counties like Sarasota, Duval, Martin, Clay. But the biggest one, the biggest flip was Miami-Dade County. That becomes, they are now the largest school district or have the largest school district where they have a served majority now. Um, also, other factors as far as Trump endorsements, 
Uh, pretty much another sweeper in there as well, like 14 of his incubant House GOP members. They swept their primaries Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess for me, it's like this is a referendum on the public school education system and parents actually being getting more involved in their public in their kids' education finally. Yeah. Um, which some teachers they feel which I get there's some I feel I understand teachers when they make the point as far as like there's some uh, parents that treat their kids like they can do no wrong. I get that. Um, and they can be overbearing sometimes on the teachers. At the same time though, I'm not gonna complain if a parent wants to get more involved in their kids' lives like that. I'm not going to No, absolutely. I'm not going to diss on them for uh for having this for actually wanting to take interest in their kids' education. So, good for parents in Florida, for sure. That's good. Yeah, that's positive and I don't know if it's a bigger indication that there could be a massive red wave to where it's not even a red wave, it's a red tsunami in the midterm elections. Mm-hmm. Um and granted, Florida is a more conservative state now than it was six years ago when I left for basic training. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Miami-Dade County, Miami-Dade, like Miami's like they vote Democrat most of the time, especially yeah. when it comes to national elections. And granted, it's like a slim majority right now, conservative, but it's still a conservative majority for school boards and uh, sure. in Miami. So with that said, do you think this is a uh, – do you think this is going to be like the main issue that will drive people to the polls on for the midterm elections in November? Or do you think there's going to be other scenarios? Um, what do you think? Uh, I think this is um, probably the main concern for conservatives right now. Their, um, their issue. I mean, we have plenty of issues with the Biden administration these past two years. Many, many issues from gas prices, inflation this woke narrative being pushed in schools and by the media and in Hollywood, like by Disney, they keep doubling down and keep doubling down on these ideologies. And I think a lot of people are starting to wake up and being like, get off. We need to get off our asses and actually go to school board meetings, have an interest in, because we've let, we've left taken our hands off the reins of society and the culture war for far too long. And the leftists thrived under that. Um, and it's, I think uh, it's, and it, I, I, and this is just me being an optimist, but I think it is <laughs> indication that people like midterms will be a sweeping loss for Democrats. And it, it, best case scenario, full majority, and they impeach, move to impeach Biden and Kamala uh, out of office. So I, I would think that that would be, my personal like if this is what i want this is this is what needs to happen and uh and i think especially after mar-a-lago the left has inadvertently kicked off donald trump's 2024 campaign because we've seen a bunch of supports for trump after the raid in the so and democrats have said that oh because roe v wade now you've gotten Democrats fired up. And I don't really see that. I don't see the Democrats fired up as much as conservatives are right now because they really, I mean, Roe v. Wade is a big, big issue. But I think a lot of uh, pro-choicers realize that it be the abortion debate being kicked back to the each individual state 
is where it belonged in the first place. And I, I think it's not as big of an issue as they're making out to be on social media. And it's not an issue that will drive Democrats to the polls. Well, the way I see that situation, right, is where just like there are certain amendments that get proposed of states and then you have the actual votes for your actual candidacies. I think that's going to be the same scenario with abortion in these states. Like it's not mm-hmm. like they're going to separate the abortion issue by itself as a separate issue on the ballot box versus like the actual candidate. And then from there, um, just like, for example, Florida, for example, like they voted for Donald Trump, but they also voted to raise the minimum wage standards to $15 an hour, which is a more progressive point of view. But Donald Trump, it's a very conservative state and Donald Trump won that state by decent margin by Florida standards, of course. He did. Yes. Uh, So I think that abortion is going to be a similar scenario where it's like, if you see Donald Trump or Joe Biden on the ticket ballot or at the at the ballot and then you see the abortion issue, whether or not, you know, you think there should be state constitutional amendment to some such such things that at that point, I think majority of people will probably separate the two issues. And I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be enough to overcome the really the mistakes they made during the last two years. And mistakes is a very, very nice way to put it yeah, to be honest. That's putting it mildly. Mildly. Very, very <laughs> mildly. I'm being nice right now. But um with that said, like which issue do you think weighs more? Do you think it's gonna be more about economics, parents, or corruption for Republican voters? Uh probably for Republican voters, I'd say uh corruption, but for moderates it'd be uh economic. Because that that's the driving force of like just how I think a president and administration is doing is how the economy is doing. I believe if in 2020, if COVID didn't happen and crashed the economy, Trump would have like walked away with <laughs> the with the d- despite the massive fraud that possibly definitely took place. Uh, I think he would have walked away with it. But I think a lot of moderate voters think about is are their lives better now than it was two years ago with the gas prices, with inflation? I think that's a much like uh, a more driving force for moderates as opposed to conservatives. Conservatives, I say, are see the corruption in the uh, the current administration and the federal government and be like, we got to get these guys out of here and we're going to vote for like either Trump. If Trump doesn't run so another Trump esque candidate, because I believe the, the uh, Republican party and the Republicans that go to the voting booths are sick of these milk toast Republicans who aren't standing up for the American people or our values. And like, I think, that's one of the good things that Trump brought to the table is because he got crap done. And I think it's like, it's going to be hard for any milk toast Republican to come along and be like, not being able to be like Trump esque in their um, policymaking. Well, if you think about it, part of the corruption too, it kind of gets back to the school situation because the Biden administration to try and shove down gender tr- ideology down the entire nation as well. And I think, as a matter of fact, their their health press secretary, I think her name is, like Levine, whatever. Oh, Lord. Yes. Uh, 
like they're trying to actually shove down like hormone blockers and make that available for children to use without parental consent. And that could be going back to your point as far as corruption. Mm-hmm. That's also part of the corruption that will drive voters to the booth on mid for November midterms. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, I definitely think there's going to be a red tsunami in a sense. Like we're going to, the house is going to be Republican controlled by the end of this year, without a doubt. I, I, I think so as well. And I, and to be honest, it's funny. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar with Tim pool, but yeah. it's funny. Every time I listen to his show, he sounds more conservative any than any like body that I've seen. <laughs> and he claims he's more moderate. And I'm like, bro, like I I'm sure come out of the closet. <laughs> No, exactly. You're conservative now. (laughs) Exactly. And I think if you're getting people like Tim Pool, like sounding more conservative, I think you're driving. And that just goes back to the left pushing and pushing this, these woke and far ideologies that aren't held by the majority of American citizens. I think that drives a lot of, I think we're going to see a massive uptick in moderates voting in the midterms in 2024. Do you think we have a shot at the Senate? Do you think we'll see a Republican control Senate by the end of the year? Or do you think that's going to be close 50-50? I'm hopeful, but I think I think if if these um, current elections have any like indication, I think we're going to have a majority in the House and the Senate by the end of the year. I would certainly hope so. Um, I have... So let's let's place our bets right now. Gentlemen's bet. No money involved, of course. Yeah, of course. So, all right. So I'm going to bet the House will definitely go to Republicans. We could agree on that. But I'm saying 60-40 chance with the Senate. For some reason, the Senate just works. When it comes to election results, it's just different. So yeah. I'm saying 60-40 chance Republican control the Senate by the end of this year. What are your odds? I'd say the House definitely, but the Senate, I'd say um, – I'd probably say 60-40 in the op- – like, wait, did you say – what was your 60-40 Republicans 60, take? Yeah, there's a 60% chance Republicans take control of the Senate. I'd, I'd agree. I, I'd be right with you on that. Uh, Damn. All right. I was looking yeah. forward to, I was. You sounded like a lot more confident than I did. You were, you were sounding like 80, 90% like, yeah, man, I think Republicans will take control of the Senate. Well, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm an optimist, but I also am like, hey, things can, go things sideways. can change <laughs> and go sideways. But I think uh, – and especially since the American people have, have such a um, short-term, short-term memory, short-term they have the memory of freaking goldfish. Um, but I'm, but I think the past two years has really made a dent in people's, uh, like savings accounts there. And it's just been, and I think we have a good shot, but not, I'm, I'm not like 90%. We're going to take it sweet. Boom. Yeah. I hope so, but I'm already, don't want to be uh, too cocky with your predictions. That's what I'm hearing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Well, folks, well, Grayson, first and foremost, thanks for joining tonight. It's been fun having you on doing the first live stream for the, not only the first live stream for this month of review edition, but actually being the first month of review edition uh, guest. So it was a nice transition from week in review where uh, I have to figure out these, you know, stories to talk about every single week, but now I could just narrow it down to just, well, one month, once one day, once a month. So anyways, folks, uh, 
say goodbye to my friend Grayson and folks. Please make sure you hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, hit the share button. Also, this will be uploaded on Rumble. So if you want to follow me on Rumble, the Taboo Topic channel, that's also on there as well. In case we did say some controversial things by YouTube standards. So in case this in case YouTube somehow wants to come come down on my small, tiny ass ch channel anyway, go to Rumble, same logo, Taboo Topic. Anyways, until next time, guys, y'all have a great blessed weekend. Have a good one.